Hi, I'm Carrie Butler, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at carriebutlercoach.com slash broadwaypodcast. Once I played a penny who just couldn't stop the beat. Yes, with roller skates on her feet. Cause it's recently to see To Breaking Broadway. Our guest today is my dear old friend. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so predictable. Old friend, Seth Rodetsky. Hi, Carrie. He, he has done it all. He's worked on Broadway as an actor, under Broadway in the orchestra pit, behind the scenes of Broadway as the writer and producer of Disaster. We met as kids because Seth and I performed in a cabaret where we sang and got paid in ice cream Sundays. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was the genius who could sing and play the piano at the same time. There's also a boy named Lucky Williams who sang and played the drums. That's true. So I was, I was upstage, <laughs> but it's all good. <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody like your journey in theater? Yeah. Yeah, this is an interview. I'm interviewing you now, Seth. That's rude. <laughs> My journey in theater? It's, yeah. I, well, like when you started, was that the first thing you ever did? No, 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 no. Um, so my parents were really into Broadway, so I they would play records around the house, and that's why I, that's how I knew a lot of Broadway shows because you know I would say it's like before headphones, before people were like isolating their music. So I, you know, I grew up listening to the albums they listened to, which was like the Most Happy Fella and just all these great old school shows. They took me to see Broadway shows when I was a kid, and there was a revival of Pajama Game in the '70s that I went to go see when I was a little boy, and I just became obsessed with it and. I think, like I always say, like the kind of song that I like the most is the most unique type of Broadway song that they don't have in the pop world, which is like a scene turned into a song. And the opening of Pajama Game, they're in a factory, and like one group's going, hurry up, hurry up. The other group's going, can't waste time. And I just thought it was so cool that there were like different groups of people singing. So that's what got me kind of obsessed with Broadway. And then I began taking piano lessons, and I advanced really, really quickly. So I, I knew. How old were you when you started? Oh, I was five when I began playing piano, and like I advanced, like, you know, just right away. So I knew that like, I, I had a really big skill set there. Um, and, you know, and then I started doing shows in school. And like when I was in fourth grade, I got cast in the high school show because they needed a little kid. And that's oh. when I was like, oh, I still got it. You know, <laughs> I thought that I, I was, you know, I, I thought that I had acting talent because of that. And then um, I just started auditioning for shows in New York a lot and not getting any of them, <laughs> just like you, Carrie. But yes. Carrie, you got commercials. I didn't get commercials because I couldn't pass, as we say. I was old school Jew. <laughs> Carrie was like, I'm the blondest, most Americanist. <laughs> I wasn't blonde back then. <laughs> oh, you're right. Somehow her hair became naturally blonde when she got older. Uh, anywho, so my first like job job was there was a dinner theater called North Stage Dinner Theater that was the biggest one in the country. And I auditioned and I got Oliver. And I was 
12, I guess, and the leading lady was the woman who played in the movie, Shaney Wallace. So it was like a really big deal that like, you know, I was performing like with a movie star. Like it, it was amazing. And yet it was also like the horrible showbiz lessons. And this is like why kids don't go into show business because like I, I had a really good voice when I was young and I got like this solo that wasn't supposed to go to a kid. I got the role of the milkmaid, which became the milk boy. Um, <laughs> but I... I wasn't like fully in all the dance numbers, even though I was sort of like a better dancer than a lot of the boys, but I was like, I was overweight, not like massively, but like definitely overweight, like 20 pounds overweight. And I, I, the one dance number I was in, it was the day before the New York Times came and we were doing like a brush up rehearsal and the director who had assisted the director for the film, his name was Tom Panko, he assisted Anna White, who also did, you know, like all, I think she did Mame, anyway, she was really famous. So he was like blocking all the little boys and he said, we were in a group of three, and he said, oh, he was sort of moving things around. He said, oh, set stand over there for a second, and then he was working with the other two boys, and then after everyone's like, what happened? And I was like, nothing happened. I was like, he's just working with the other two boys. They're like, no, you're not in it anymore. And I said, yes, I am. I said, he was just literally going over the dance steps, and went over time, and I said, I'm still on the number, right? He's like, oh, no, 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 you're not. And I cannot tell you, like, I was like sobbing. Like, no, I hid it from him, but like sobbing, crying, crying, crying. And it's that showbiz thing where it's like, of course, in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm too fat. It may have been like it was all groups of twos, and I was only a group of three, and they like wanted to have just keep it consistent. But like when you're a kid, it's like this. I mean, their their mentality is like the show must go on. Like they don't need to give me a reason. But I was devastated, and that's you know, and that's why I think kids don't go into show business because it is traumatic. It's not like everything's fair. It's just like I was yeah. kicked out of the numbers, so I had the solo. But the whole time, the whole run of the show was this underlying feeling of like either I'm fat or I'm untalented. You know, it's yeah. it's hard. It's really hard to be a kid. And, you know, you know. So then I got the nightclub that you got that. Carrie got, which was amazing, but at the same time, Carrie and I were both losers because, like, at the end of the all show, all the people that were in it were like Sarah Jessica Parker, Allison Smith, yes, um, all the Annies, all the Annies, all the Peter Pan kids, all the Avita kids. Yeah, because there was like the time of little kids on Broadway. Now it's more teenagers, but then it was like Peter Pan, I Remember Mama, all these shows with little kids. So at the end of the end of this nightclub act that we were doing, you got to wear the T-shirt from the Broadway show you were in. But of course, Carrie and I were not on a Broadway show, so we were forced to just wear like a shirt that just was like I was never cat. I didn't. <laughs> Say I was never cast, but that was the subtext. Like Hanes. Yeah, <laughs> Hanes t-shirt, size extra large, hefty. But the point is, like, that was the same thing. It's like the same when you're a kid performing. It's like you're in this adult world of like um, achievement or not achievement. And in one sense, I liked it because I'm really competitive, so I sort of enjoyed the constant competition. But I remember also being there, Carrie, and like at one point, Peter introduced me. Uh, he was the piano player, and I think he was like, Seth is 12 years old, and my grandma was in the audience. She's like, oh, he just turned 13. And I was like, shut up! I was furious, because like, you're so not allowed to age to the child. Oh my God, I was so angry. You know, it's a weird world. Like, you don't want to grow up. And anyway, so that that's my childhood, and then, you know, I still did a lot of performing, but by the time I got to college, I had like a big falling out with my theater teacher, who was a dick, and as a matter of fact, I wrote a whole... I, part of my, I wrote the show called Rhapsody and Seth. Oh my oh, gosh, that's amazing. Thank you. Yes. Um, I'm actually, if you get a chance to see it, it, it is really spectacular. And, wow, thanks, And Gary. the way Seth plays the piano, it's like you don't even know that he's capable of this because the stuff you do, you know, for Broadway shows is not yeah. actually what you are capable of. That's interesting. Yeah, you don't really have to, it's not that hard to play on Broadway. It's much harder than classical. I mean, classical. no, it, it's hard to play on Broadway. I mean, Broadway, it's hard, but it's but not. But what you do in this show is harder. Is spectacular. Oh, thanks, Carrie. I'm actually, I'm, it's funny, I haven't done it in so many years, but I'm doing it again. I think the next time I do it is back, maybe after this airs, but I think it's October 14th, right near Oberlin, where I went to college. I'm in Lorain oh. County doing it again. But anyway, the, my point is, like, I had falling out with my theater teacher who was, like, so mean to me, and, and I don't know, just for whatever reason, 
it was a combination of like him being mean and, and I didn't really know about musical theater majors to the point that I wound up majoring in classical piano, which is so weird. I feel so Audrey McDonald, like she majored in opera. I was like, I never was gonna be a classical pianist, like ever, ever, ever. But I guess I couldn't believe I got into Oberlin. I was like, I got in? Like, I just couldn't believe it because it's a really hard conservatory. So I was really just, I couldn't believe it. And then I went to go visit and it was so liberal. And like, after being in high school where like nobody was gay, like, I always call Oberlin basically a gay bar with dorms. Like, I couldn't believe, like, everybody was gay. Like, it was so open. So I, anyway, I went. But my point is I wasn't really doing theater really anymore. I was doing classical piano and I was conducting. I was conducting, like, I would do different shows at Oberlin. But I have to say, being at Oberlin set up my whole life of how I've treated my career, which is, like, if you want to do it, do it yourself. Like, my mm -hmm. sophomore year, I was like, I want to play Rhapsody in Blue with a full orchestra. And I was like, sign up here. So I just had, like, people sign up, and I had, like, a 35-piece symphony, and I just played Rhapsody wow. in Blue. And that's what I've done ever since. And, you know, just skipping way ahead, but, like, in, I heard, I did a benefit with the Gay and Lesbian Synagogue, which I do, I do all the time. And I was um, doing Dreamgirls, and Lilius came. Lilius White was in tech rehearsal for the life. She came after she had a tech rehearsal and she sang Effie. And I was like, you're so amazing. I was like, I have to do this on Broadway with you and the full orchestra. And I knew it wasn't gonna be revived. So I just basically contacted the Actors Fund. I was like, can we do a one night benefit of Dreamgirls with the full orchestra with Lilius White as Effie? And they're like, who else you got? And I was like, what about like Audrey McDonald as Dina? And they were like, what about Heather Headley? The point is, but I just put it together because I wanted it to happen. <laughs> and that's kind of what I set up at Oberlin, which is like anything I wanted to do. Not like I. I magically made it happen, but instead of waiting for it to happen, I just sort of worked really hard to make it happen. Anyway, so I graduated Oberlin, I became a rehearsal pianist, and then we didn't really, I didn't really see Carrie until like, like my mid-20s when I started volunteering, I did this thing oh, called yeah. Hearts and Voices. Amazing. Which is so, Carrie was so much fun to hang out with there, where we would go and perform for um, AIDS patients in hospitals, because I've been volunteering at God's Love We Deliver, like where you make food for AIDS patients and I was like I'm so can't cook I was like why am I doing like not my skill set so I was like as you do something I can actually do well so I hearts and voices not at all no oh. Matt McClanahan cutie cutie oh. Matt McClanahan who I still have a crush on even though we're both married <laughs> refuses to date me um, Matt McClanahan started with Nancy Sundag and I saw them it was in Don't Tell Mama's party my god it was probably 1992 so many years ago and they said they were bringing singers to AIDS patients and I was like I totally want to play piano and I wound up doing it almost every week for I would say years. like, yeah, maybe almost years. 20 years. Yeah. And Karen and I did the one in Roosevelt Island. I did that for a really long time. And then I went to Cardinal Cook. Um, but anyway, that's how Karen and I reconnected. We were like, don't we know each other from being kids? And she's like, that's weird because now I'm 20 years younger than you. I'm like, all right, I'll go along with that myth. It's all good. <laughs> um, and also, that's another good example of you volunteering as a way to improve yourself. Because we're doing these concerts for these patients and people get to work on their songs in front yeah. of the audience. Yeah, and well, it's two things. It's first, like, it they have no, um, not no boundaries, but they're they're just honest with their reactions. So, like, yeah. you really know if the song works or not. Right. And on top of that, it's a very pure way of performing because there's so much, there's such an agenda now when you perform with, like, I want to get the job or, like, I, I want to get this, I, I'm sick of doing this probably show, whatever it is, but when you just sing for people that are sick, it's like, oh, like, music can make people feel better. And so many people would come to show to sing and leave and say, I was in such a bad mood when mm -hmm. I got here and I feel so much happier now. Like, it just brings you back to like why you did music. It's like that song, um, uh, that beautiful song from Title of Show that um, Heidi Blickensaf sang. I cannot believe, because I, I want to say it's back to before and it's not that. Um, oh my God, wait, um, listening to Andrew McArdle sings, oh, uh, uh, way back to then. It's about going back to when you were a kid and like you just love performing and there's no annoying agenda. And that's what volunteering with music I think is so perfect for.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. By the way, why do I have vocal damage? I don't, I don't know why I'm talking down here. Um, and it's the so then I just finished the careers, and then I, I was a pianist on Broadway for a lot of years, but I really missed doing comedy, so I started doing a lot of sketch comedy with my friend Jack Plotnick. Oh, so funny. Who, of course, you know so well. So we were doing sketch comedy on the side, and then I would start, I got asked to write, I mean, I guess if you just want to, this is sort of like my inspirational story, which I think is up your alley. So I, two things, I wanted to write for a television show, I always wanted to write for TV, and Jack was like, you have to move to LA to write for TV, and I was like, I don't want to live in LA, I want to do Broadway. And he's like, you can't do Broadway and TV. And I was like, and cut. Mm-hmm. So I had written some comedy songs for the East Javana competition for Broadway Cares, like, we have AIDS. Like, a, you know, Greece would do a number every year and I would always write it. And one year they said, can you write the opening number, which was such a big deal. And I'd never written an opening number before. It just seemed like beyond what I could do. But at the same time, I was like, I want to try it. So I said, yes. And that same week I was offered the show called Forever Plaid, which I love, mm-hmm. in Hawaii. So I always wanted to go to Hawaii, and I love Forever Plaid, and I also needed the money. So I was like, should I take this job, which is really good money, in a place I really want to go to, or should I do this volunteer gig, writing this opening number, which I don't even know if I can do. But I was like, I want to do the challenge of writing something I've never done before, and plus, of course, I love Broadway Cares, Equity Five Days, and I want to help them out because they're an amazing organization. So I didn't take the job in Hawaii. Wow. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it's not so amazing, but still. I think it is. Well, I regardless. Mean, you needed money, probably. Yeah, yeah no, I definitely, because I was just a sub, and yeah. being a sub is really inconsistent. But um, but I, I've, I've never cared about money, ever, ever, ever. I mean, that's never, I've just never cared about money, hence I have no money. But the point is, <laughs> you know, like, I'm fine, I'm comfortable. But my point is, because I started writing those opening numbers, Rosie O'Donnell would always go see Easter Bond competition. Oh, yes. And she called me and she said, can you write numbers like that for my TV show? And that's how I got the Rosie O'Donnell show. So two things. A, I was in New York and I got a TV show. Mm-hmm. So Jack was an idiot. Like I said, he was. <laughs> Sorry. And because I did that thing for free, which I thought was really enjoyable, it led to this great long-time job. So, and that's the same thing with Sutton. You know, Sutton was literally offered Eponine in Les Mis on Broadway. Did you know that? No. She was literally offered Eponine on Broadway. And she's like, well, I've already played the role of Eponine. And she was offered flat-out ensemble in Thoroughly Modern Millie, out of town. And she told her agent, she's like, I want to take a chorus job. And they're like, wow. like, you're offered a lead on Broadway. And she said it was more money than she'd ever made in her life. And she was like, I just want to do a new show. And then, of course, you know, Tony Award. But that, I, I always wow. believe in that. It's like, you just got to do what you enjoy, and then it, it leads to something better. Don't ever take a job for money, because then you wind up resenting it. But that is, I mean, such a great story that you... You gave up a real job for a, for volunteering and just helping people, and then you ended up getting this amazing yeah, job. It was a really good job. Yeah, that. Yeah, but I think that's everybody's story. I think if you, it's always a thing about if you do what you love, it turns into something else. I mean, like my whole career now kind of is deconstructing and doing these show deconstructing Broadway, and it's like. That just was because I would be in my dorm room, my friend Ben, I'd be like, oh my God, listen to how Barbara Streisand changes this. You know, like, <laughs> I would just do this for my friends all the time for fun, and then it turned into a job. I just feel like everything... And then you, you created your own Broadway show. Well, that that's, yeah, well, that is true. And that that's because every fucking audition I was being called in for as an actor was always a flamboyant fill-in-the-blank, which is co-word for gay. And it's just always like, you walk on the scene, you're like, nice outfit, girl. And I'm like, <laughs> first, I'm like, I don't even know anyone in real life that's even like that. It's like, I don't know what you're basing your gay characters on. And I was like, can I be an actor? Like, can I do something besides that? So 
that was on my mind, plus the fact that I love, you know, disaster movies, and um, this is like, you know, way before jukebox musicals, um, like in the, you know, it was the early 90s when I started writing Disaster. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I just loved, when I was a little boy with my brother, we'd make these tapes where we would ask a news question and the answer would come out in a song, and I remember he was like, I'm here with Seth Ackerman. I don't know what that, that was my last name. And he was like, what do you think of Gold of My Year? And we played, she's an evil woman. And we were like, that's hilarious. So I'd always done those kind of jokes of answering uh-huh. questions with songs. But my point is, like, I wrote this role of the professor in Disaster because I was like, I don't want to play a flamboyant film in the blank. I'm like, I want to play someone completely emotionally shut down. Like, I can play more than that. So that's why I wrote it. And Jack and I had always been writing sketches together. And we wrote it, by the way, literally the same thing is for a benefit. It was only make-believe. Only right. make-believe would contact me. And they said, can you do a one-night benefit? And I was like, I'm always doing Deconstructing Broadway. This will force me to finish this show that I have in mind. So I wrote it as a benefit, and then it turned into a Broadway show. And then we cast Carrie Butler. And by casting, Lilia texted her, will you do it? Yes, I will. <laughs> that was the amazing process of casting Carrie. Up yes. text. <laughs> totally, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, well, I guess we should get onto our topic today. Which is what, my tank top? Oh, right, the radio people can't see it. My outfit is crazy. Just let it be known. <laughs> but I love your stories so much. I don't, don't want to go to a topic because you're so you. inspirational. Uh, but our topic is um, creating a songbook. For, I mean, this podcast is for people you know, who don't even know about coming to Broadway, really, and want to know how to start. Uh-huh. Um, and you used to coach people on yeah. making their books. You don't do that anymore, do you? No, I do master classes now, right. but no, I don't coach. It's, it just takes so much time. But um, I, it's interesting. Almost, not all, so many of the big stars that I interview, because that is almost like my life now, is also interviewing people on the radio, they'll be like, I have a audition song. I mean, oh. these major stars. Wow. They're just like, I have one song. I mean, Orfeo always says that. She has a song, If It's Over, by, Mar- by Mariah Carey. She's like, I did it for every Broadway show I've ever been in. Other people, are, they're like, I slow it down, I speed it up. Like, oh. they just have a song. So I have to say, I'm, you do have to have some songs, but I really do judge the creative team that for some reason has to hear these really, it drives me, these really specific songs. If you don't sing that, I'm not going to know what you can do. Like, for Disasters, I was like, sing a song from the 70s. I'm like, why? Like, first of all, I wrote Disaster. It's like, I can hear someone sing Define Gravity and know if they can sing something from Disaster. Like, it's not, you can, maybe you can say, I, this is what I would say, I'm sorry, let me be more specific. If you're a soprano, what I always say, okay, let me go back. 16 bars is the most important thing you have to have. You have to have a good 16 bars. So here are my rules for 16 bars. That has to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. So you can't take a great audition song and then plunk out 16 bars that makes no sense to somebody listening to you. So you can't just be like, that's why I... Like, that's what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, it has to be like, I understand who you are. Like, it feels like a song. It can't feel like the... The, the last peop- big belting notes. Or- yeah, it can't just be like, the audience can't be confused. Like, you have to... The audience, which is the people casting, you have to feel like I just saw a performance. So it has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has to make sense. But by the way, last big belting notes, so many people do this too. They'll be like, I could stay home every night, wait around for Mr. Ride, I'm tickled showers every day. <laughs> well, that's 16 bar. <gasps> Literally, I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, you've got to end the song. But by the way, you have to also end the song. So even if you end it, some people will be like, defying gravity, and you can't hold me down. And like you, that may be the ending in your music, but people listening to you are feeling dissatisfied. So you have to think, you have to be smart and go like, what is an audience going to take in from this performance? Why are they going to feel disappointed at the end? Like you've got to end on a note. So anyway, it's got to have a beginning, middle, and an end. Plus, you've got to show me all you can do within those 16 bars. So if you are a soprano, and I always say this like, 
in a fun, up-tempo song, let's say you're belting, like add a high note, quote unquote, as a joke. But as a music director, I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's got amazing high notes. Like, give me everything you can do within those 16 bars without sounding like a crazy person, but like literally just belt it and soprano it within those 16. So that's, I think, oh. the most important thing. But then in terms of your book, yes, have a quote unquote legit, if you're trying for Oklahoma or whatever, you have to have like an old school song. And if you're trying out for, you know, anything from like Sondheim, Jason Robert Brown, Stephen Schwartz, you have to have that kind of Broadway pop sound. And then if you're really going like, let's say like, I guess like Spring Awakening, Hamilton-y, you have to have like a legitimate pop. Yeah. But like, I don't think you have to have a million effing songs. I have I, a million songs. Well, but, you, but you know why? Because sometimes you get these auditions the night before, and so if I have a huge uh, book of songs that I can look through, and also I try, I mean, this isn't for 16 bars, but if I get an audition for something, I try and find the song that is specifically that character. Mm. So then I go in, I have a song that's just like the song the character is gonna sing. Well, you apply the character. That's why Gee Wiz was so good for you right. for their Hairspray edition. You're able, you're smart enough to apply the character to a song because other people, Gee Wiz could also be done as like a weird stalker yeah. song. I mean, you could do it in all different ways. Yeah. So that's what I like about it, having not that many songs because you can alter the song. Oh, true. Right. You know, if, if the song, especially the song is general, like, they all laughed at Christopher Columbus, like, you can you can do that in all different styles. If it's more general, I think you can apply more character to it. But I get crazy when when casting people give these specific audition types of songs. I think it's such laziness on their part. But Sorry. they do do it. They do do it. And so sometimes you have to have, okay, like, a right. folk song. Sometimes you have to have a rock song. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have, you know, like you mentioned, the 70s. pop songs. Yeah, yeah, and there's all yeah. different, that's the whole thing. That's when they say, like, a pop song. It's like, well, what's your version of pop? Because, like, there's 70s, I mean, yeah. it's I really different. I think if you different. have one pop song, it's kind of okay to use for, even if it's, like, a 70s pop song. I think you can use that for, yes, not for contemporary, but for any of, if it's... Like right, not for, like, hip-hop, let's say. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and that's another thing, too, with pop songs. It's, like, you want to try to get theatrical pop songs. You want to try to avoid the yes. pop songs that have, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> what are you acting on the word yeah? So like, you want to try to get pop songs that have a story. Yeah, that have good lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you have to, I guess you have to have a, that's the other thing too, I can't stand those rules. Like, never bring Sondheim to an audition. It's like, why? Stand in the Clowns is actually an easy song to play. Uh, what I would say is like, show the song you want to sing to a piano player friend and just be like, is this song hard? So that's how you can get past never bring Jason Robert Brown, never bring Sondheim, because it's not true. There's some songs that are actually easy. So show it to your piano player friend and say, is this song hard? But then on top of that, we've all played another 100 people so many times at this point. It is a hard <laughs> song, but we all know it. So have an option. You know, don't only have that as your Sondheim, but if you have a hard Sondheim song, just tell, ask the pianist of the edition, like, do you know the song? And they may go, oh my God, I totally know this. Or like, oh my God, I'd be on, can't play this. But I don't believe in those rules of never sing. What I would just say is for young people, which drives me crazy, is stop singing the same song as everybody else. Like, I cannot yes. believe the laziness level. Like, when you were young, Carrie, what was the go-to song? On my own, I guess? Oh, um, Out Here, out here on My out Own. Out Here on My yes, Own. Yes, that was definitely, that was yes. like early 80s. And then on my, what's weird is when I moved, when I was playing auditions, when I was still in college in 86, for some reason, everybody was singing, um, Wherever He Ain't, Look What Happened to Mabel. I guess it was post-Jerry's Girls and everyone just discovered it. So I'm, I never heard those songs until I played those auditions. So songs go through cycles, but what I notice all the time is, Run Away With Me, everyone does, Gimme, Gimme. It's like yeah, this Gimme, kind Gimme's of, a big one. Yeah, and I'm just like, you can like a song and you can like a person's career, but don't you want to stand out? Like, why That's do you right. want to be like everybody else? And especially now with YouTube, like, you can... When we were kids, Carrie, like, how did you even find auditions? When you I were know. Kid? I went to people like you. Yeah, I guess you have to go to a coach. But you but don't. But now, 
I you, mean, you, you can listen to Seth's radio show. Right, and, yeah, and listen should. to songs. Listen you to Sirius XM. Listen to Sirius XM or just, you know, go to YouTube. Also, there's the Lincoln Center Library. Well, which that's is great, amazing. Yeah, that's yes. right. It's the photocopy songs there. Yeah. But just like, listen to somebody you like. But what I would actually, I would actually just say like, go to YouTube and put on like Broadway 1950s, Broadway 1960s. For some reason, all those songs are ignored by young people. And there's so many amazing songs you could be doing. I'm not saying pick the most obscure thing, but don't pick what everyone else is doing because you, you, I, I personally will disrespect you. Like if I'm a music director, I will just go like, you're lazy and you're not, not that you're not bright, but you're not thinking. You're not a thinking actor. You yeah. want them to see you and... If, if you come in with a whole character behind this song and make up a story in your head, yes. then they'll be like, oh, I want to work with this person. Because, so creative. Yes. And that's the thing, too. But by the way, on a side note, it is true when you're trying for specific characters, like Carrie's saying, be a character. When you're just going to general auditions, really try to bring yourself into as much of the song as possible. So many people I know, especially men, are like, are like normal offstage. And then like when they start auditioning, like they put in this weird leading man persona. It's like... Bring your bring all the different aspects of yourself to your song because it's really fun behind the table to see all the unique different things of you. So if yes, if you're trying out for Vita, feel free to act crazy. <laughs> like be like, you know, mm-hmm. be a dictator, whatever. But if you're trying out for just like a summer stock, try to bring as many aspects of yourself to one song as you can instead of picking that's why it's good to pick general songs like they all laughed or I don't know, I could have danced all night because there's so many fun moments you could find in it. But when you pick these very specific songs where you just have to act like especially so many young people, they're so into singing sad songs. I'm like, nobody wants to see you sad. Like pick another song. Like they are all into this dramatic, I guess like they think being an actor is being really dramatic. And and that's the thing too. Please God investigate the lyrics of the songs you're singing. Like it's just so lazy. Like they'll bring these songs, and I'll be like, "This song A doesn't rhyme, B makes no sense." Um, and I won't say the show, but let me just say, there's a certain show that people do all the time, and I'm like, "The words don't rhyme, and the lyrics make no sense." Like, oh, it makes me so angry. So I'll talk to you when I'm yes. off mic. But I won a Tony Award. Anyway, go on. Um, okay, now what about when people are auditioning? Like, let's just give them basic tips. Like, where they do they look? Okay, yeah, this this drives me crazy. So a couple of things. So you walk when you walk into the audition. For just be a normal, the basic thing is be a normal person. And, and I know like it's nerve wracking, but just don't listen to the acting teachers that teach you these weird rules. Like you can't, my name is Seth Dodaskin. I always sing, it's, like, it's not the Miss Texas pageant. Like be just literally walk to the room. First of all, so you walk to the room and they'll be like, oh, sometimes they'll be like, what are you going to sing? Sometimes they don't know what you, what you, what you want to sing because it's kind of fun to guess behind the table. So like you don't have to announce what you're going to sing. If they particularly maybe say what you're going to sing, feel free. But you don't have to be like, I'm going to be singing. I remember someone was like, take me back to Manhattan by the great Cole Porter. Someone said that. I'm like, you're weird. <laughs> My, and my, my acting director friend, my director friend literally said he was talking to this guy before an audition and he's like, oh, you know, he's looking at his photos. He's like, oh, Tom, where are you from? And then he's like, oh, Tom, you know, what was the last show you did? Then he's like, all right, Tom, ready to sing? He's like, uh-huh. My name is Tom. And I was like, oh my God, I was just talking to you. I know your name is Tom. So anyway, the weird prepared, it makes me crazy. So anyway, um, you walk in and they'll usually be like, oh, you ready to sing? You're going to do the monologue first. And then you go to the piano player and show piano player music. Please God have everything everything written out perfectly because it is your if the piano player screws up he has the job already so it doesn't matter if he messes up it matters to you so do not have which I get 
all the time, cross outs, lines, oh, I don't really sing these lyrics, so just, uh, just ignore this. Like, well, I'm trying to follow the lyrics, so I wanna know what effing lyrics you're singing. I don't wanna have to do weird, read a treasure map of like lines, page turns, go back, circle, like make it the most possibly clear you can. So just make your music completely clear. And speaking of clear, I don't like the clear plastic binders that everybody loves because oh. the lights hit it, and then I'm like, I can't see. So it's like, if the, just, just have it nice, but you don't have to have it in plastic binders, even if you're OCD like Carrie. Um, by the way, Carrie, your music is from 1981, yes. and it's the yellowed yes. parchment. Yes, it is. Lily handwritten by Benjamin Franklin. Um, so, anyways, you go to the piano player, and then, like, you know, you're allowed to, by, by the way, ask for your first note. Like, I always like to kind of know my first note and, you know, the first chord just to kind of get into your into yourself, you know, into your body. And then you just walk to the center, and the whole, for some reason, everyone is taught. Okay, but well, let me go back. When Carrie and I were kids, we auditioned on Broadway stages. Yes. But now, because of Bizarre union rules, and I won't call out the union, but I'm sure that is why it's no longer possible to audition at Broadway stages, which is infuriating. You're asked to give a Broadway performance in a crazy small audition room. It is bizarre. But when we were kids, we were on Broadway stages, and you just, so you were, by the way, looking over everybody's head because you were basically performing to the balcony, old school style. But now people do that same technique in an audition room, and it's like when you look, when you're that close and you're looking over people's head, it completely disassociates you from them. So you want to look on their eye level, but you you don't want to be a freak ass and stare somebody down <laughs> and be like, you're doing a scene with me because you're like, no, I'm actually not. So I learned this technique from Sarah Lazarus. I used to play her audition class. It's an amazing audition class. She still gives it. Sarah Lazarus, Sarah Louise Lazarus, and Alex Rybeck's the piano player. But basically, you're on the eye level of the people auditioning you, but not literally into their eyes. So what you're doing is first you think to yourself, am I singing a song to a single person or to a group? Mm -hmm. So if it's a single person, you put that person's eyes between the eyes of the director and choreographer. So you're on their eye level and you play the song to that level. If it's a group song, meaning like cabaret, you know, what good is sitting alone in your room, you're talking to a whole group, you just put the whole audience's quote unquote eyes on their eye level. But instead of playing completely above their head to like to some magical deity that's not there, you're literally playing and you're connecting with the audience, but not literally staring into their eyes. So that's, I guess, my basic thing about where the hell you look during an audition. Love, Seth. Yeah, because I think that's a big thing that we see when we, you know, sit well, behind class. Yeah, we sit behind, we'll teach classes. Um, also, be be aware of what Jack always calls bending at the waist acting. So many people, when they're auditioning, are like always leaning forward and like gesturing, and it's it's this weird bending at the waist. It's like I want to express something. It's like you don't need to bend. I'm not saying you don't need to gesture. Feel free to gesture if you want, but just like don't bend forward because when you bend forward, an audience bends backwards. And the other thing is, don't do the weird shifty shifty walk around. If you're gonna move, feel free to move, but the shifty shifty. I, I was interviewing Marsha Lewis once who did Hello Dolly with Ethel Merman and she goes, Ethel Merman taught me to plant it. And it's true. It's like, it's very powerful to be in one position, but it's unpowerful to be like, I'm just weirdly walking forward from side to side. Just like plant it or move for a reason and don't bend to the waist. Love, Seth. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, taking songs out of context? Like if I were to sing a male song... Yes, I have feelings about that. So unfortunately, I don't think men can do it. There's extreme prejudice against men doing anything feminine because it's always like it, there's such anti-gay bias. And if I remember when that whole Sean Hayes article happened in time, it's like no one's believing him as a straight leading man and promise promises. I was like, really? Everybody is. He's amazing in the show. But if there's any inclination of like, yeah, no, he's so gay on stage. There's such prejudice. If you go in and you're like, someday she'll come along, the girl I love. Everyone's like, oh my God, I sing a Judy Garland song. So I think it's really difficult to do it if you're a guy. You can do it. I mean, um, Jason Danieli, um does, um, oh my God, he does if she, uh, as long as she needs me. So yes, you can do it, but I'm just saying there's definitely a prejudice against 
doing female songs. However, you can find certain female songs that are so not feminine. Like I always say guys should do um, Don't Talk of Love, uh, If You're In Love, Show Me. I think oh, Show Me is yeah. a great like aggressive song. So you can get away with it, but I don't 100% advise it. However, I 100% say women should sing guy songs because oh. it's a great way to take a song that everybody knows that's a great song and immediately put your own spin in it because you're a woman doing it. I think it's a great idea. I was just playing with Kelly O'Hara. She does He Loves Me. Super fun. So I 100% approve of that. Second of all, I, I actually want people to take songs out of context. It drives me crazy when people yeah. come in for general auditions. First of all, so many kids come in general auditions, oh, I have a call soon on a cloud. I'm like, why do you have a British accent? Like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, well, on the record she does. I'm like, right. Well, first of all, it's the British cast recording. So, okay, so, but not even that. Like, there's a song like, um, Some Things Are Meant To Be. Some Things Are Meant To Be from Little Women. And in the show, you know, Sutton Foster basically, they're singing to her sister. It's like, they're, she knows her sister's dying. And it's like, there's extreme pathos of like, you're about to die. But the actual lyrics are just like, some things you're meant to be like, we love each other. So you can actually completely sing that song positively. You don't have to add this whole devastating subtext to it unless you want to. But so many people are like, well, in this show, she, and I'm like, I'm not interested about it in the show. Like, you need to own it. You need to make it your own song, especially young people. Like so many young people, I do this, this is my advice always for young people. They'll be singing these love songs. I'm like, okay, you don't know anything about being in love. So I'll always be like, do you have like a, a kitty cat? And they'll be like, yes. I love. And I'm like, pretend you're singing to your cat. And then you, you can conjure up all those feelings instead of like, this song is about, you know, a woman with a married man. So you don't understand those feelings. Like, just feel the love That's you feel for really, your cat. That's a really good point. Yeah, so just, like, apply it to yourself. And you're 100% allowed to take it out of context. Unless you're trying out for the show, you can't be like, you know, I think Evita's really nice or whatever. It's like, well, that's, like, that's not the show. Like, you have to act the actual character in the show. But if it's your own song, you can do whatever the hell you want with it. Do you remember that story Faith Prince told us? About the song when she was auditioning. For Guys and Alls. Yes. Yeah, for Guys and Alls. They were like, and by the way, same thing with Jennifer Hudson. So two basically similar stories. Faith Prince was auditioning for Guys and Dolls, and they said, we want you to sing a song like Adelaide's Lament, but not Adelaide's Lament. So she really thought about the character, and she was like, she's been engaged to Nathan Detroit for like 15 years. She's in love with him, but he's extremely faulted. I mean, he's got big faults. So she sang something wonderful from King and I. He may not always say, but with an Adelaide spin, what you should have him say, but now and then he'll say something wonderful. So about being in love with Nathan, but there was that essence of Adelaide. But instead of just playing pure comedy, she played the um, the love that Adelaide had towards Nathan, but with an Adelaide spin. It was a brilliant audition choice. And then Jennifer Hudson, Jennifer Hudson, by the way, this is another one of those kind of don't take no for an answer, kind of same thing we're talking about. I was doing my hair concert, and Billy was over, Billy Porter was over, and I said, who should sing Easy to Be Hard? And he said, oh, Jennifer Hudson from American Idol is really good. And I was like, she doesn't really sing that high. And he's like, no, she's really amazing. And then I found out later, by the way, American Idol was like, yeah, you shouldn't sing high. Literally told Jennifer not to sing high, wow. and that's why I thought she didn't sing high. So they actually, and she has a crazy high voice, but I didn't realize that they told her not to. But anyway, I believed Billy, and then I tried to track her down, and I wrote to two different people. And the first person I wrote to was like, her American Idol tour ends the night before the hair concert. He's like, she be on, won't be able to make it to New York. And the second person I wrote to was like, she's dying to do it, she will fly in that morning. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. It's like, you've got to go to more, you have to try for something you want and don't trust other, don't trust people's answers for things. But my point is, I gave her that song, Easy to Be Hard, in um, Hair. And then Henry Krieger was at the after party and she was like, I want to be Effie in Dreamgirls movie. But anyway, like a couple months later, they had her audition for the movie and they said, sing and I'm telling you type song and I'm telling you. And she sang um, Easy to Be Hard because oh. the same thing. So it's like you bring a song, like you're saying, you bring a song that has the essence of the character, but it's not necessarily the character's song. Um, 
Do you have any other pet peeves? <laughs> You've already mentioned quite a few. But. I do have a lot of pet peeves. I do. It drives me crazy. Um, people that don't read music drives me up the wall. The laziness, the laziness. So many people, will, I'll talk to them on Broadway, like, do you read music? Oh, well, I know if the notes go up or down. Oh, my God, you have 20-20 vision? Amazing. Like, who cares if you know if the notes go up or down? Read music. I don't understand why it's like a weird badge of honor to not read music. It's so, it's A, lazy. B, like, if I'm casting a show and it's between two people, of course I'm going to cast a person who reads music because as Carrie knows, there's so many original Broadway shows, shows change all the time. So I don't want to be like, oh, I'm changing your note to an A-flat. Let me record it for you. I want it to be like, I'm changing your note to an A-flat, and a normal person will go like, oh, I'll just put on my music, and they'll know how it goes because they can read music. So please, God, read music. It, also, stop smoking. Why do I pass AMDA all the time and all these idiots are smoking? Like, you know it's going to ruin your voice. And, and stop drinking. I don't understand young people that are like smoking and drinking when all it does is ruin your voice. Like, you can't be a serious artist and literally be destroying your, your actual Instruments. instrument. Yeah. God, it makes me angry. And then I guess just in terms of auditions. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I have more just pet peeves on the other side. I just feel like directors everyone they have to be a lot friendlier I'm like oh. just know that everyone's really nervous and just like be a lot more welcoming but I the advice that I think is really helpful for actors two things I'll yeah. say um Jack Plotnick has um amazing it's an amazing website jackplotnick.com and within it is something called affirmations for actors oh. it's so helpful because his theory is you know a lot of people go to auditions and they're like oh my god I've got to end on that high note I'm so nervous I'm not going to hit it and it's like no no, no I can hit it and then your negative voice is like mm, you may crack you're like no, no no I can hit it it's like you may crack. And you have this crazy argument with yourself. So his whole thing is to do this affirmation yourself. Like, I release and destroy my need to hit that high note. And then your negative voice is like, but, wait, what? And I'm like, <laughs> literally, you can't argue with yourself. And I've done it. Like, when I did Torchung Trilogy and Harvey Firestein's mother came, I remember I was like, I release and destroy my need to be as funny as Harvey Firestein. And I just kept saying it because I was like, huh, I've got to live up to it. And like, it really... It just frees you because instead of being like, I'm going to go for it, you're just like, I release and it's what I need to do. Whatever it is to hit that note, to be funny, to get the job, it really releases you. And the other thing I was going to say is that it's really helpful when actors go in, you're making it easier for the director and choreographer and casting person. They want to find someone. We're so in the mode of, oh my God, oh my God, I want this job so badly. Instead of like, they also want to find somebody. So it's much nicer to go like, I can really help this person out. Like when I was doing the Legally Blonde reality show, this woman named Autumn, oh my God, she was so good, Autumn yeah. Harward. Yeah. And she would be amazing when I rehearsed with her. And then whenever whenever we would do it for the judges, she would always kind of clank. And I was like, why are you clanking in front of the judges? And she said, she said well, she goes, I kind of equate auditions with people telling me that like, basically I don't have the job, like I'm not going to be allowed to sing, like taking away the joy of singing. And I was like, guess what? I said, your audition is the joy of singing. Like, it's not the stepping stone. It's supposed to be, oh my God, I love the song. Yeah, I get to sing the song today. Yes. And that's it. So it's like, I get to sing the song. Not, this song doesn't really count, but when I'm on a Broadway stage, it counts. Like, that's why it's good to have audition songs you love. It's like, I get to sing this. I get to be funny. And that's it. That's your joy. Like, get the joy from your audition song. And if you hate your audition song, change it. <laughs> yeah, when I audition for things, I think, oh, I can't wait to show them what I did with this song. See, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. And then and even if it bombs, yeah. it's so funny. Yeah. I've, I've had some, <laughs> I've made some mistakes because I am daring. <laughs> You've done some broad choices? <laughs> yeah, one time I, I did, um, I, I don't who sings, um, you're going to love me like nobody loved me. Come That's just an old school song. Everybody oh, okay. does. Well, so anyway, it was for a jukebox musical, I think. And um, I brought in a, a gun. 
and uh, it was like a water gun. I, I think that's really smart. Like I was, you know, a stalker. Like a, a stalker. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad choice at all. They looked at me like I was insane. No, that uh, well, if it wasn't a comedy, I guess. What are you doing? It could have been any. You know what I mean. It was a jukebox music. It could have been anything. So I totally appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I feel redeemed. Yeah. No, that's a hilarious, (laughs) hilarious choice. Brian Dutcher James talks about when he was in a small edition room and he was singing out there and he was so close to everybody and he was like, could not believe how close he was singing so loud. So he kind of commented on it and he was like, um, I will find my way out there too loud. (laughs) And they were just like, Sistera. And I'm like. That is hilarious that he was in the moment and commenting on how crazy he sounds, and they were just like, we refuse to crack it. That's when I'm just like, you guys, lighten the F up behind the table. <laughs> I hate everybody. Yes, go. Jackie Hoppins, nice interview. I hate everybody. <laughs> Love Jackie Hoppins. <laughs> uh, do you have any other insider tips on where to find songs or anything like that? Uh, well, first of all, I think Michael Levine is a great coach. I think oh, yes, he's true. an excellent person to go to. Um, I, I just really feel like go... He said, you just go to YouTube and like go to YouTube and just put in like Ed Sullivan show. Like I discovered that song, I had a ball. Like I never heard of that song before. And now like Karen Morrow, I'm obsessed with her and obsessed with that song because I watched her on Ed Sullivan. So just what I used to do when I was at Oberlin, I would get like stack, I would go to the library and get stacks of albums of shows like I thought I would never like, like Best Little Horse in Texas. Like I hate country music. And then I got it and I was like, wait a minute. Like there's an amazing belt of song called 24 Hours of Loving I'd never heard before. That's so amazing. Dolores Hall sings it. I became obsessed with the opening number. So I just feel like get, now you don't get, obviously you don't get albums anymore. What the hell do you do? Go to Spotify? Just, yeah, yeah, just like Just look, like go to five shows you've never heard of and just listen to them like while you're cleaning because you never know if you're going to either hear a song you love or a singer you love. But just stop listening to Gimme Gimme. There are other songs <laughs> that Gimme Gimme. Uh, wh- lastly, what would you like to plug? I know this oh. is, it probably isn't going to come out before your next concert. Um, oh, I guess my cruise. Carrie Butler did my oh very my first Broadway gosh, cruise. Oh my cruise is amazing. Thank you, Carrie Butler. Oh my gosh, it is so much fun. The people that go on this cruise get such special treatment because it's all Seth, all the time, all the Broadway people, and it's really intimate. It is really intimate. Yeah, you get to hang out and we, we... play games together. Yeah, Broadway Bingo. We also do the variety show at the end of the week where all the passengers... I work with the passengers all week. I rehearse them and at the end of the week we all sing together our kind of like classic yes. songs. Like literally, you weren't on the Cheetah Rivera one, but like literally they got to do all that jazz with Cheetah as Velma and then the Tonight Quintet from West Side Story with Cheetah as Anita. <laughs> it was crazy. So then, okay, I will plug Everyone all what's coming up. such a good time. It is, and the actors have a really good time. And they go really great places. Oh my god, that's I know. You got to come. You were in Alaska, right? I love the Alaska one. I have coming up. I have the Caribbean in February. By the way, Jory Bernstein. Bernstein. I can't. (laughs) Dory and Squigs. Let me just use the first names. They're sponsors with their Lights of Broadway. Those amazing cards. Uh, But anyway, we're going to the Caribbean in February. Then we're going to Bermuda in July. Then we're going to the Greek and Adriatic Islands. Actually, the month before that in June. Then I'm doing a transatlantic on the Queen Mary in October. And it's tons of Broadway stars. So yeah, just look up sets Broadway vacations or just look me up. But come on a cruise, you're, you're really loving. People are like, people will write like, will you get to see Seth? I'm like, I literally spent 24 hours a <laughs> yes! day with you. It's like bizarre. Everyone. It's like, unco- yeah, we all hang out together. Yeah. It's so much fun. Oh, thanks, Carrie. And your radio show. I'm on SiriusXM every day. And actually, well, when is this going to air? Maybe a few weeks. I could probably break this. I'm actually starting a new rival podcast. But it's oh. fine. It's totally different. <laughs> it's called... Um, it's called Seth Rudetsky's Back to School, and it's me in a full hour with a celebrity all about their high school years. Oh, that's Which I'm fun. obsessed with. Yeah, it's really fun. So that's that's going to be soon on. We merged. SiriusXM merged with Pandora. Oh. 
So it's through Pandora, and I have amazing. My first one's with Tina Fey, which is <gasps> hilarious. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, you'd love it, Carrie. So you know, whatever. Look me up, SethRudesky.com. There's lots of fun stuff and videos and deconstructions. And go see Beetlejuice. I loved it. Oh, thank you. Thank Same. you for being here, Seth. I love y'all. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Breaking Broadway, produced by Broadway Podcast Network. Opening song by Aaron Accurso and Joey Mazzarino. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, please like, leave a comment, or share with your friends. See you next time for more insider tips to making it on Broadway. Together you and I are breaking Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.